Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Now that the smoke is cleared from the debt ceiling negotiations, what defense spending may look like heading into the next year has come into a clearer view. The $886 billion agreed to by House GOP leaders and the Biden administration represents a 3.3% increase over last year, but has already drawn criticism from Republicans and Democrats alike. Now, with the National Defense Authorization Act on the horizon, we bring together our defense team to discuss how we got here and what to expect over the next few months in the defense space. Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast. Today we'll be discussing the state of defense spending following the debt ceiling negotiations and leading into the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act. We're joined by Senator Mark Begich, who represented Alaska in the United States Senate from 2009 to 2015 after serving as mayor of Anchorage for six years. We also have Bill Dunkey, who's a shareholder here. Uh, he is a true authority on congressional appropriations issues. Uh, Brant Anderson is a, a senior policy analyst here. Uh, he focuses on foreign policy and national and economic security advisor. Ari Zimmerman, who's a senior policy analyst here. He spent eight years on Capitol Hill serving as a professional uh, staff member for Republican policymakers, including on the House Armed Services Committee, the Defense Appropriations Subcommittee, and the Homeland Security Appropriations Subcommittee. And then I'm Mark Pryor, your, your moderator today. I'm a two-term uh, Democratic U.S. Senator from the state of Arkansas, where I also served as state attorney general. Let's just jump right in uh, to talk about what we want to talk about today. Senator Begich, let me start with you. Uh, you've been through these things before, you know, fiscal cliffs and other high stakes negotiations like what we just saw. How do you see the state of defense spending now that the debt ceiling deal has passed? Well, just to kind of recap where the defense uh, spending is based on the debt ceiling deal. Uh, and I and I will say this, uh, Senator Pryor, I'll, I'll couch it by saying it's at this moment in time because everything changes, as you know, in Congress the next day. And so right now it's about $886 billion, uh, about 3.3% increase from last year. And there are efforts on both sides that weren't happy. You know, the GOP wanted obviously some more money, the progressives and the Democrats wanted less in defense, more in discretionary. And now we're at this situation where people are looking at the budget through the NDAA as well as the appropriation bills and trying to figure out kind of what's the next step. How do you deal with this budget with an increasing uh, war overseas with Ukraine as well as other demands uh, based on what's going on in China and Russia? So from my perspective, you know, it is $886 billion today, which, you know, for any listener, it's a lot of money. But there's already efforts for people to start figuring out, can they get around that number? But, you know, there's winners and losers in these deals. And you could tell this one was probably the right deal at the end of the day because both sides didn't like it necessarily 100%. So that's kind of where, where it is today. Yeah. And so then what, where we are in our year is that we're now turning the page and we're looking at the NDAA. 
uh, Senator Begich, how do you think this debt ceiling deal sets the stage, or maybe I should say, what kind of stage does it set for NDAA this year? Yeah, this is interesting. In the debt deal also, there's a 1% increase for defense spending, but if they are unable to get the appropriations bills, the 12 of them done, then there's a 1% cut across discretionary and military defense spending. So it's kind of a mixed bag. So there's, you have the NDAA, but you also have the appropriation bill. Both of these have to kind of move in some process in order to protect defense spending. Um, I, I think the NDAA, and I know Ari suffers through it every year, has hundreds of amendments, which he's always monitoring on behalf of many of our clients. I think this will be a convoluted process to a certain extent, but it started already. But the main, the piece that I think is going to be important at the end of the day is not only passing the NDAA, but these 12 appropriation bills, because if they don't pass those bills based on the deal, then there's an automatic 1% cut. And that's a lot of money in the defense. You're right. And that, that's a great point. And I do want to turn to Ari in a minute. But first, let's turn to Bill Dunkey. Uh, Bill, you lived in a world of spending caps for a long time. You know, love them or hate them. They are the reality that this Congress is going to have to deal with. Um, again, you've been down this road many times before. Are there any avenues of additional funding that could be used by the Congress to sidestep these caps? I guess there's a couple ways to look at it. First and foremost uh, is you know, they can renegotiate the deal. But as uh, one of my former bosses, Senator Pat Roberts, used to say, the chances of that happening are slim to none and slim just left town. So uh, that's not going to happen. So the question is, where else can you add funding in an appropriations context? Once you're capped, which uh, this uh, particular legislation, the debt ceiling legislation, did actually add caps to the, uh, the Budget Act that controls the cap spending, is exceptions to cap spending. And in this particular instance, most relevant would be emergency spending. So when you see supplemental bills, you sort of have to divide them into two things. There's there's supplemental spending and there's emergency supplemental spending. Emergency supplemental spending is not subject to the caps. So that's when you start hearing people talk about adding money, whether it's for Ukraine or ways to get around the deal. That's what they're talking about is, is emergency spending that would not be subject to the caps. All right. So let's talk about that uh, just for a second. So. As a former appropriator, let me confess, I think this is true, and that is that oftentimes in the appropriations process, uh, kind of for the unaware, there are some trap doors and maybe some surprises in the process that the appropriators kind of know how to utilize. Do you see some of those here? You know, that there might be some money just in the complexities of the appropriation process, or do you think that there's, it's really gonna be about supplemental spending and emergency spending? It'll be both, because those two will weave together. If, uh, if they're looking for ways to add money, what they'll try to do is find base funding pots that can be shifted to emergency legitimately, because emergency spending has criteria it has to meet, um, and then make room within the base funding for other priorities, so, so that, that could happen. And I see that, like in the news reports, Speaker McCarthy has said he will let the uh, committees come in under the caps. So explain the significance of that in this context. And adding on top of that, uh, Chair Granger, the uh, chairman of the House, last night announced that that's exactly what she's going to do. 
I think she implied that she's going to stick with the defense number, but she's looking at uh, 22 levels for the non-defense spending, which really puts sort of a real difficult position for the House vis-a-vis -vis the Senate, because obviously the Senate is still in Democrat um, hands and obviously Republican hands in the House. So how that will play out is going to be interesting to see uh, over time. But uh, so she's going to do it. The question is, you know, what's, what's that going to create as a dynamic with the Senate? It tends to marginalize the House, which is, is sort of how it plays out. And then the Senate will sort of take the lead and then decide, you know, what they're willing to send back over for the House to have to deal with. But time will tell. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And I do want to get to some of the politics, the House versus Senate, uh, D versus R, even the intra-party uh, challenges sometimes with this. But first, let me turn to Ari and Brandt. And I would like to ask both of you guys, really, what topics do you two expect to be most talked about uh, when it comes to the NDAA negotiations? So year over year, ever since the Budget Control Act was put into place back in 2011, the top-line defense number has always consumed the defense budgetary talks and no matter what other issues there may be at play between Republicans and Democrats, the overall top line number, I think this year, will certainly have everyone's attention. At an $886 billion cap, Senator Begich is correct, that is a 3.3% increase over last year's level. However, OMB used 2.7% as their inflationary rate. And so really, it's a half a percent, if you will, increase over last year. And that's if you believe that, that the inflationary rate currently is 2.7%. And so I think a lot of folks in Congress, namely uh, Republican defense hawks, believe that um, $886 billion is actually a real cut and a real lessening of buying power by the Department of Defense, all while China in particular is massively increasing their technological capability uh, and threatening increasingly Taiwan. And so I think as you go through the year, the NDEA in particular has always been a largely bipartisan measure. I think if you if you watch the markups and you and you watch the floor activity, you'll see that about eighty or seventy or eighty percent of that bill is completely bipartisan. Conference reports at the end of the year typically pass in the House with upwards of of three hundred plus votes, and in the Senate with seventy, eighty, uh, maybe even more votes. And so while the two sides may bicker over, quote unquote, woke issues um, like critical race theory, um, schooling in the military, or certainly the abortion issue might be a, a partisan issue that arises this year, it's important to note for the American people that um, on a large measure, Congress agrees on, on a large part of, of national security spending and policy. And so, Brant, do you want to talk about any you know specific topics that you think may come up in all these uh, negotiations over the course of the next few months? Yeah. In, in addition to the point that Ari made, which is absolutely right on the top line, I think one of the big policy areas that's going to get a ton of debate in this year's bill is just the issue of support to Ukraine. Um, I think that's something that as uh, was just discussed as we look at the supplemental funding and where the appropriations dollars are going to end up. The question over will there be another round of funding for Ukraine what uh, what weapon systems do we decide to send over? Um, and then where do uh, House Republicans come down on that? That's something where we've seen House Republicans divided on this issue. 
So there's you know an issue in the base text that was that was just released on uh, on this decision to send ATACMs to to Ukraine, and that's been an issue that's been debated for quite a while as our own inventory, our own industrial supply is low. Should we be sending those over? Should we continue to fund the offensive? And then, um, you know, as, as Ukraine looks to retake some ground, um, and how does that all play out? I think that's going to be one of the big issues that, that we'll certainly be watching as, uh, as amendments are potentially filed to strike some of that Ukraine language or, or to plus it up. And, and how that debate plays out, I think, will be really instructive uh, as we look towards the rest of the year and how the, the broader um, and how the broader appropriations battle shapes up. And Senator Baggett, let me ask you about uh, another specific topic, and that is China. How, how do you think the issue of or issues around China may play out in this year's NDAA? Well, you know, it's an interesting uh, dilemma for the U.S. as we continue to supply resources to the war in Ukraine, which means we're depleting our own resources. China's busy building their uh, fleets, their navy, while we are falling behind and need to put resources toward that. So we have conflicting interests, and then we got the budget cap on top of that. So we end up restricting our ability to expand our resources, meaning our, our navy, for example, while China's aggressively moving forward. And we have to replenish what we've shipped over to Ukraine. So we have a very complicated process here and less resources to play with. Uh, in this growing demand between China and Ukraine in the war in Ukraine and the needs to compete against China. Yeah, and, and there's going to be a lot of those issues like that. There's the emergence of China with issues about you know critical mineral, minerals around the world, uh, a lot of issues in Africa and other regions that are related to China. There's going to be a lot of specific issues. Let me also ask... Um, uh, Brant about a sort of a kind of a new area for a lot of people, which is space. You know that that's that's a uh, a, a topic that's going to take up a, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of time. I think. So, do you have any ideas on or any idea on what might come up related to space in this year's NDAA? Well, there's a number a number of things. One of which is 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 where the location of Space Command headquarters. That's something that has been in the news recently as it relates to, um, uh, you know, the Biden administration may decide to, to, to shift away from the Trump administration's decision to move it to Alabama. Um, they may decide to leave it in Colorado. Um, and I think that's something that we're closely watching, how that plays out. Obviously, this is, this is tied together um, as a result of the uh, administration's decision on, on and Senator Tuberville's back and forth on, on abortion issues. Um, so that's something that that is going to impact some members, and we can see that play out as Chairman Rogers rightfully is going to is going to fight for Alabama, uh, while we'll see other members from Colorado want to see it uh, based there. So that's something we are we're, we're we're closely monitoring. But no, space is a space is something that since the creation of of Space Force um, is taking a lot of attention uh, for members. It's it's another domain where China is heavily um, heavily influencing. The debate and something that members are going to be thinking about as we secure lines of communication and uh, and, and preserve all of our intelligence assets that we have that we have in space. And Senator Breyer, if I can just add one thing real quick to that, and that is, it goes to the issue again that it requires a lot of financial resources. And when you have a budget cap that has all these competing problems and challenges, it really restricts our ability to equalize or exceed, in some cases, what China is doing. 
I think all those are great points. So, Bill Dunkey, let me ask you, again, you've lived in this world for a long time, and I think outsiders often think, well, all the squabbles in Washington are this, you know, just Democrats versus Republicans. But that may not be the case this time. And something I've noticed ever since the debt ceiling deal was announced, it's almost shaping up of, you know, inside the House, it's kind of Republican versus Republican, and it's also Senate Republican versus House Republican. Can you talk about those dynamics just for a moment? Yeah, it's going to be, I think, sort of bifurcated, sort of inside the committee and outside the committee. Historically, the defense subcommittee uh, on the appropriation side has been very, uh, a very friendly place to be. A lot of cooperation between the parties. Very rarely do they have a hard time reaching agreement. So... But some of the uh, the statements you've been seeing publicly, especially from senators like Senator Lindsey Graham, about the need to up the money on the uh, uh, on the defense side, it's it's interesting a little bit because the way the the administration funds uh, U- Ukraine assistance is 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 through the European Deterrence Initiative. They've they've split it out this year into a separate pot of money, but they always, for lack of a better term, underfund it. So for the past couple of years, they've requested $300 million. Well, considering we've appropriated over upwards of $100 billion over the last few years for, for Ukraine, you can see how that's it's, it's inevitable there's going to be some sort of emergency supplemental funding for Ukraine. So the discussion about we need a supplemental is sort of, you know, is, is sort, of, uh, sort of stating the obvious. That's the way it gets funded every year. So now the dynamic on the House side is is there going to be enough support on the Republican side to, to get that through? And getting bills to the floor, as we've seen over the last week, is also going to be problematic on the House side. So I think, is there plenty of support on the House side for Ukraine funding? I think the answer is yes. I think ultimately that'll happen. But but how the Speaker is going to handle that will be interesting to see as, in light of his recent uh, dynamics. Yeah, I think there's been almost some, I don't want to call it open revolt uh, with with some of the uh, members of the uh, House uh, Republican caucus, but there's been a, definitely a lot of friction and some of that's uh, out in the public. Let, let, me, let me sort of turn to the timeline here. This really will have to be the last couple of questions because we're running out of time ourselves, but... What is the sense of this group on the timeline for getting the NDAA moving forward and actually being completed? Ari, did you want to take that? Sure. Thanks, Senator. Uh, We should expect that both the House and Senate Armed Services Committees to move their version, their, their explicit version of the FY24 NDAAs by late June out of committee and uh, in the House at least. Uh, to pass it off the floor by mid-July. The timeline is a little bit less clear in the Senate as far as when they can pass it off the floor. But I would expect that once the House is um, has dispensed with their version, staff on both committees will begin their informal conferencing process of the two bills. In most of the, the past years, a conference report or a negotiated bill between the House and Senate has passed in late November or December, I would expect for a final product to be passed out of both chambers and signed by the president uh, in sometime in December this year as well. 
So it'll take most of the year, and there'll be, there may be a few ups and downs, and maybe one of those situations where the House and Senate may not agree, but um, you think at the, by the end of the year they'll get it all done. I do, and an important piece to this when we talk about defense and national security spending is, of course, the appropriations process. Maybe Bill can walk us through the timeline of, of when um, the appropriations may move. Yeah, they're, they're starting to set out their schedule for their markup, so that'll become a little clearer of how it plays out for the rest of the year. But it's always sort of an open-ended question when it comes to the approach side of the House because they're trying to make peace across the allocations to begin with. And then as, as we watch the House mark to lower numbers, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out on the Senate side as well. So things, some bills can move a little quicker than others, but you know, whether they can move together or not will depend on which ones they are and whether they can sort of reach accommodations between them. You've seen over the last couple of years, it, it all turned out into a big omnibus process. And, and, and the two years ago, in 22, it took us all the way until spring to get a bill passed. So on the approach side, it can be it can be a bit tricky. And and is there a threat of a one percent sequestration bill? Well, if they don't complete their bills by the end of the year, that's what the law says. So uh, they, the pressure's on them, and, and they also changed the sequestration reporting requirements too to put even more pressure on them. So the press is on. We'll see if they can uh, get it done. Yeah, and I would add that what's unique about it is. It's not just about the defense appropriation bill. It's all 12 they got to get done. So it's an all or nothing deal. So if they can't get them all done, then the work of NDAA gets a little hamstrung because some of the authorization over there, it gets complicated this year, I think, because of the all or nothing play of the appropriation. So it will be, uh, it will be a busy Senator Pryor. I think it's going to be a busy November and December. And people better cancel any plans they have to go on any vacation, holiday, or weekend. That's my bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good advice. Well, listen, speaking of the timeline of getting all that done, we're out of time for today. Uh, we, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. And we hope you will check out more of our podcasts in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.